we're going to be talking about assault and suicide and rape and mugging and death and divorce and those kind of <laughs> I knew you were that kind of crowd, so I <laughs> A few Sundays back, I told you the story of uh, being called, I think it was the night before I told you, going over to a house in which a uh, teenage boy had armed himself with a ski pole and a knife and he was holding off his family. And I think I also told you that in praying before I went over there, the words that I heard were, all situations are the same. And of course, in the subject that we have this morning, and possibly we'll, I'm sure we'll probably extend this out for another Sunday or two, because I've given three-day workshops just on, for example, how to counsel a rape victim. And so to try to cover all these in one Sunday is uh, ludicrous in one sense. But in the sense that all situations are the same, you could cover these subjects and a hundred more. What actually happens as we go along is we, we simply see how to apply the truth in a situation that it wasn't obvious to us before. A situation where we're confused, where fear still reigns, where we still have some interest that um, calls to our ego and prevents us from seeing a very simple and gentle answer. But a crisis is an intrusion, a sudden intrusion. That's the way I'm going to be using it today. It's as if you're going merrily along and suddenly the world falls on you. And suddenly your spouse leaves you. Or your child dies. Or you're just walking back from the movie and you get raped. Or as with the men in the penitentiary that I've worked with, you're walking back uh, from the uh, cafeteria and you get raped. Or suddenly you're told that you only have a few days to live. Or suddenly it becomes apparent to you that you are an alcoholic. Or that you have some other addiction. So what I'm talking about is this sudden caving in that seems to take place in everyone's life. Everything falls apart. It's hopeless. It appears to be unasked for. I received a letter from a woman about two weeks ago. And she told me that when her daughter was about five, I think, they were out camping. They were in their uh, camper trailer and they were at a trailer park. Uh, I mean, one of those little camping parks. And her daughter was a very uh, friendly, outgoing little girl. And she walked over to the uh the camper that was next to them. And there was a woman sitting there, and next to her was a Doberman. And she started uh, just chatting with the, the woman, as she so often did, being a very outgoing little girl. And the dog jumped up and set her teeth right, set its teeth right in the child's uh, cheek. And she says, now... Um, Ten years later, the, the scar is still there. And she doesn't understand that. And she said that her whole walk home has been blocked by not understanding how that happened, why it happened. She, of course, is referring to the very common statement, which, of course, is true, that we create our own reality, that we choose the experiences that we have. But we say, how could this be true of a little five-year-old girl? Now, although you will hear this statement and you will read it in books, and there is even a few places 
although very few, and of course in miracles, where something like this is said, a statement such as this is of no use to you. And my advice would be to forget it. Don't, don't try to figure out in what sense you are choosing the experiences of your life, because you're not in a position to know, I'm not in a position to know, these things do become clear in retrospect. We've talked here about how most of us have passed through a period in our life in which we alienated all of our friends. And at the time, it seemed like it was their fault that somehow we had collected this kind of person around us. And so it was a sort of a personal justification that they didn't like us. It had nothing to do with the way we were living our lives or what thoughts we were thinking or how we were looking at our friends. But they dropped away. Now the time comes in which you look back and you, and you can see how you set the thing up. But this will not happen with everything in life. You're not going to understand why your child died you are probably not going to understand why you married someone who beats you up. You're not going to understand how you happen to get mugged. And as we've said so often here, true religion contains no questions. All questions come from the ego. And the trip home, our awakening, our humanizing, our becoming kind and gentle and good people, our joining with others instead of trying to separate from others and distinguish ourselves from others, this thing that we call a spiritual path, which may have spiritual terminology or it may not, this is not a quest for knowledge. It has nothing to do with opinions. It has nothing to do with philosophy. It has nothing to do with reading books that contain opinions on what God is or how the world operates. It has to do only with simple kindness and peace and goodwill. There is, of course, a knowledge of how the world operates that slowly comes to us as we go along. This is a dream. It has been set up, and the way it's been set up slowly dawns on our thinking as we go along, and we can begin to see how the whole thing operates. But that is not kindness, and that is not love, and that is not awakening. It's just something that happens as we go along. Just as there are people who can see or communicate with those who have gone on. Now, to those that this experience does not occur, it seems crazy. And for someone to whom it has not occurred to try to figure out why it's occurring to someone else, or if it is occurring to someone else, will just cause mental conflict. It will make you irritated. It will make you feel cut off. It will make you feel quite anxious. It will create a longing that leads nowhere within you. And so the first general rule about a crisis, as I'm using the word this morning, is don't try to figure it out. Don't spend one moment asking yourself, what part did I play in this? Assume, if you would like to, that you played no part in it. Because if all situations are the same, it really doesn't matter whether we have our hair cut or our purse snatched. It's the same thing. But it's not the same thing to someone who's experiencing it. And so to say something like that, to speak in terms of absolute truth to someone who is going through or has gone through a tremendous trauma is not helpful to that person. It does not heal them. It does not allow them to turn from the incident. 
and it does not help us love them. It only causes us to judge them all the more severely. So there appear to be these sudden intrusions. Now sometimes at the dispensable church, I give you an assignment. Uh, and I'd like to suggest one to you. Because this world appears to be an extremely dangerous place. There are always things happening that you didn't expect to happen. And so it would seem quite logical that, that the way to approach life, even though it's a very, very short life that we have, the way to approach it is to constantly review what might happen and, and, and to think of all the ramifications and to sort of be on guard and to take preventive measures wherever you can so that you're sort of leaning in the direction of the future. Since every once in a while you've a hand came out of the sky and slapped you around. Now you've got to sort of be wary. And we can see this happen with children. We've all seen this, haven't we? We've seen children who have been with parents who have strong egos and cannot help it. And they discipline their children out of their mood. So at one moment, they, uh, the child can do something and it's perfectly all right. In the next moment, the child does the same thing and the world falls in on the child. Because the, ch the, the parent is disciplining from mood and there's no consistency there. There, there is no uh, seeing of the child and what effect these things have on the child. There's no carefulness with the child. The parents are not being careful with what they say to the child. They're not realizing that the child is just a child. It's just two or three or four or five or seven or whatever it is. And it's seeing the world after only a few years. And it doesn't know what the rules are. John asked us the other day, how did I get old parents? <laughs> He doesn't understand that, you see. How does that work? He wants to know that. You see. So children don't understand these things, and there are all kinds of things going on around them that seem magical to them. Things that just are unbelievable to a child. And so they accept this sudden shift of moods, and what happens? All that happens isn't that the child is molded into a good child or a well-mannered child, but a scared child, a child that walks very gingerly around its parents. Now, that seems to be what's happened to most of us. The big hand came out and smushed you, and somehow you got up, and now you're a little bit more wary. And you went along and uh, you went to the TM uh, class and uh, you started meditating. And right in the middle of the whole thing, the hand came down and thumped you halfway across the world. And so now you're even more wary. You don't know what's going on. We are indeed like children in this world. So limited, are we? So narrow is our vision that we don't even understand what all the teachings of truth say we ourselves created. And we can see this in a dream. We can see how at night we do exactly the same thing. You set up all the complexities and all the rules of your dream last night and then chose to forget all of it and have a severe limitation in every respect so that the dream would appear to be happening to you. But with what used to you is that, that truth in the dream. There's nothing you can do about it. If someone were to walk up to you in the dream and tell you, did you know you set this whole thing up? Of what possible use could this be to you? One of the real deterrents 
to a spiritual path is trying to understand things. And if you will just accept them and lean back and do the thing that we know to do in our heart, then the understanding will eventually come. So the assignment that I would like to give you is assignment in insanity. But this is the dispensable church. You would expect nothing less, would you? <laughs> All right. I mean, did you realize you came Sunday morning to the girls' club? This is, this is the church that you came to. <laughs> now, so here's the insane assignment I want to give you. Wait on the world. Just the opposite of what your very frightened ego is now telling you to do. Wait for the world to come to you. Now, the other way of living is don't wait for the world to come to you. And that's the way we live most of the time. So I would like very much, if you can, to get a sense of sort of sitting in a very quiet, safe, peaceful place. Sort of like a nice padded chair at a movie. And you're going to let the movie come to you. You're going to let the projectioner turn on the projectionist, turn on the movie at whatever time he chooses to do so. You're going to let whatever little commercials that they have, you know, about West Coast sound or whatever it is at this point. You're going to let those come on. You see, you're just going to sit there. You let the world come to you. Now, here's what you don't do. You do not run toward any activity. So when you get up in the morning, it will seem as if the day is going to happen to you. Now, we've talked about how having a routine and being a very dull person helps immensely. <laughs> if you can develop an extreme dullness to your life, and have an, a, a routine that you're easy with. And simplify, simplify, simplify. This helps immensely. There doesn't seem to be as much world coming to you. It's not Star Wars now. You see, it's, it's Winnie the Pooh or something. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is a very short little movie that Walt Disney made. And it's very simple. And there's just a few characters and so forth. So this really does help. So you, um, um, you, you let go of, you do not sacrifice, but you cut back on as much as you can cut back on. You cut back on as many things in your house as you can. In peace, the things that you can let go of in your house, you let go of. So there isn't as much to look at in your house. You look at all the activities and all the, there are, I promise you, 1,000 things that you are presently doing that you don't need to do. Don't try to figure out what they are, but just <laughs> begin cutting back just for the sake. Of, remember, this is insane. I'm, I know this is crazy. Begin cutting back just for the sake of cutting back. No sense of sacrifice here. No sense of giving anything up, but you see, ah, I don't need to do this particular thing. And so you let it drop away and you, you wait. Of course, if, if it turns out that it is needed and it's making you unpeaceful to, uh, to have let go of that particular activity, then you can take it up again. Nothing is irrevocable. You see, we're so afraid of making mistakes. We are terrified of making mistakes because making a mistake can mean your life. You walk down the wrong street after the movie and you can be killed. You marry the wrong person and you can be put in the hospital once a month. You eat the wrong substance and you get cancer. Everything is dangerous from that perspective. 
And of course we're terrified of making mistakes. And so it will take an act of will on your part to begin to change the way in which you are looking at your life and the way you're approaching your life. Because everything in the world will tell you that you should do it just the other way around. You cannot watch the evening news or read a magazine or a newspaper or overhear almost any conversation at a party without being reinforced in your belief that the world is an extremely dangerous place and you must spend most of your mental life being on guard. You must be on guard about what you say to someone else. Haven't you offended a friend and were utterly surprised that they took what you said the way they took it? That happens quite often, doesn't it? And so we've got to watch. We have to be very careful, we think, about every word that comes out of our mouth. Because it could be we have to think of all the interpretations that this person might give to what we're saying. And so we are scared. There's no love when you're scared. You cannot heal when you're scared. And you cannot walk home when you're scared. And so it takes an act of will to begin turning this around. And you, so you begin cutting back on everything that you can cut back on in peace. So that there's less world coming to you now. It's a simpler world. And what one person gives up will be different than what someone else gives up, but never give it up in the sense of a sacrifice. Now you're practicing the peace of God, and now you rise in the morning, and you think some simple, gentle thought that can carry you through the, today. Today, I do not want to respond to my ego. Today, I do not want to honor feelings of irritation. Today I would like a simple mind. Today I'd like to be a good person. Today I'd like to be kind. Today I would like to be a guardian angel to my spouse or my child or this good friend I will see or my boss or the person who works to me, works with me, uh, works to the, next, the, the, the desk next to me. You don't have to wait to be a guardian angel. <laughs> I don't know if that happens or how it happens or anything about it. But we all have a sense of a, of a guardian angel. Wouldn't it be a nice thing to be a guardian angel? One of the first children who died at the Center for Attitudinal Healing in talking about death, he's the boy who suggested that they write the little rainbow book for other children. And talking about death, this was when all the drugs stopped working and the children came to his room there in the hospital. And talking about death and answering the questions that the children his age asked him, what do you think it will be like? What do you think it will be like when you die? This, you know, this is the way a child looks at it. What do you think it's going to be like? And he said, well, I think you leave your body, which is never real in the first place, and then I think you go to heaven and you are one with all souls. And then I think that if you want to, you can come back and be a guardian angel to someone. I think that's what I'm going to do. And there are several people at the center who think that he has done precisely that. It does not matter whether that's an a delusion or not. But we have a sense of being a guardian angel. Go ahead and be one. Be a guardian angel to the people around you. Start with just the ones that are very close. Now you've got this assignment, see? And the assignment, this is another assignment. I'm going to give you two assignments now. This one is that you are a guardian angel. Now no one knows that. Did you see the wonderful, what's the wonderful movie? Uh, huh? In which... Uh, I don't remember any of it. Haven't. Anyway, it was on. T it's a good life. Yes, right. All right. And they send uh, this guy who hadn't gotten his wings yet, you know, down to be a guardian angel. All right. Now, of course, no one believes he's a guardian angel. He doesn't look like a guardian angel. He's chubby and I forget what else. 
It's like uh, George Burns didn't look like God was supposed to look, you see. Now, that's perfect, you see, because you don't look like a guardian angel, do you? Anyone who thinks they look like a guardian angel, would you please raise your hands? Stand up so we can see. You see? But you've got this assignment. Just try this for a few minutes or a few days. You're going to be a guardian angel to the peace of the people around you. You are there to guard their peace and their happiness. This does not mean you say yes or you say no. It means you guard their peace. It doesn't mean you go out to dinner or you don't go out to dinner. It doesn't mean you pick up the phone or you don't pick up the phone. It doesn't mean you hug them or you don't hug them or you kiss them or you don't kiss them or you anything. It doesn't mean you compliment them on their dress when you hate it. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has to do with an instinct, a very gentle, wonderful, heart-singing instinct in which you just say, ah, I'm, I've got this assignment, and that is to protect this person's happiness. Because God gave them their happiness, you don't have to give them. You see, that's the mistake we make, is we think we have to put someone in a good mood. And isn't that disastrous? <laughs> the good mood is in their heart, rests in their heart, like a, like a little bird that's just come out of an egg. It rests there. You are there to protect it. Protect it against the winds of unimportance, of triviality. All right. Now, your real assignment, though. Assignment number one. <laughs> None of these spur-of-the-moment assignments, you. All right, now, your real assignment, because... This is, we've got to be serious about this. I mean, our name's not serious, and our location's not serious. Our chairs aren't serious. The assignment has got to be serious. Now, don't run toward any event. Try that for the rest of the day. Time waits on you. It waits. The world waits on you. You wait on the world. Have this sense of waiting. So they wait until you get in the movie. Who was the, oh, we're not, we won't identify him, but there was uh, one of the famous people in the world came and bought out some theater a while back, and they sat and watched the movie by themselves. Wouldn't be sullied by other human beings in the auditorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, now that's what's happened, you see. Just assume that they've wait, the movie waits for you. You sit down. So, first of all, you can get peaceful because they're not going to turn the movie on until you've got your hot buttered popcorn <laughs> and your little corny dog. And, and you're, then they will say, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, are you now ready for us to begin the movie? Now, you don't believe this, do you? <laughs> the quick and easy way to go through life is with this attitude. This is actually a fact. I'm telling you a spiritual fact about the way the world operates. The events of the day literally wait for you. So when you rush toward them, you have filled your heart with anxiety and there has got to be some sort of punishment or discard or chaos or something to any activity that you run toward. So don't run towards anything. Wait. Wait for the world to come to you. Wait for every incident, every event, every word. Do not rush into conversation. Don't think you have to say something to people. Don't think you have to fill all the air with words. Fill it with peace. Fill it with gentle waiting. Wait for the world to come to you. And you will have taken the very foundation of crisis, rape, mugging, suicide, child molestation, all this stuff, you have taken the very heart of it as the ego presents it and you have turned it upside down into a spiritual truth because the truth is that your life waits for you. A Course in Miracles says that if you are to be a teacher and that you can be a teacher if you simply wish to be a teacher, there's nothing more to being a teacher than something wishing to be a teacher that the people who you are, to, who, uh, whom? <laughs> whom you are to teach. 
You see, I'm not a teacher. I would have had that right. <laughs> will come to you. They are waiting for you to decide to be a teacher. Teacher doesn't have to have to say anything or act any way or read certain books or make any kind of recommendation. A, a teacher is simply someone who is a guardian angel, a protector of other people's peace. A teacher is someone who says, I think I would like to teach what I am rather than what I have been deluded into thinking I am. So you teach what you are. You teach what you really, truly are in your heart. You really, truly are a very kind, gentle person. You know this. You know that you are a very kind, gentle person. And so you choose to teach it, which means you choose to be it. That is the quick and easy way to get all things done that need to be done. Is to let the event come to you. Let the chore, let the duty come to you. It's very interesting. Don't be afraid to try this. Your ego will be scared to try this. You will feel actual panic in trying this. Waiting and letting something come to you. It's very interesting. The thing you are to do will actually present itself to you. It's as if a little door opens and you say, oh, of course. I've got to take the tire in and have it patched. <laughs> it's just very obvious. Of course, the windows have to be oiled. Whatever it is. Of course, I've got to phone and make an appointment with the doctor about such and such. It's just this door opens. It comes to you as you wait. The reason we don't get the things done that would bring our life to peace is that we're running towards all these assumed things that we have to do. There are just a few things that you have to do, very, very few, to make your life peaceful. And if you will wait, they will come to you and say, are you now ready, sir, for the movie to begin? Now, we've talked in here about how whatever you do matters not. It doesn't make any difference what you do. We've talked about this especially in relationship and in, in, in regard to romantic, what might be called romantic relationships, partnerships of that kind. Used to be those people would be married, but... You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> couples. Couples. Those kind of relationships. We've talked about how it doesn't matter what you do and that you can begin walking toward give everything, demand nothing. That that is a very, very happy state of mind. To simply decide that you will give everything. You will assume responsibility for everything. And you will ask nothing whatsoever of your partner. It's an extremely happy attitude. But it's an impossible one. <laughs> <laughs> and so you begin. You simply begin. You begin with the areas where you can begin. Now, in talking about that, someone could say, well, it doesn't matter that I'm washing the dishes. And so you don't wash the dishes well. It doesn't matter whether or not the windows are oiled because they're, they're, it's a dream. And so you let the, the windows deteriorate. And you say to yourself, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't really care. I know that uh, my car needs a lube job, but it's just a car. I don't care about those things. I go to the dispensable church. <laughs> A Course in Miracles says you cannot bring the world to God. Excuse me, you cannot bring God to the world. You must bring the world to God. 
cannot bring God to the world, you must bring the world to God. Now it says that so that we will not make the mistake of trying to manipulate God, manipulate truth. So we will not try to take God or truth or love or reality or whatever you want to call it and apply it and, and zap the world and use it like some sort of magical wand, which won't work. Seems to work, but it's not really working. If you look closely, it's not really happening. But did you know that there's a sense in which you can bring God to the world? And the Course in Miracles uses this also. It says that God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. It's one of the early lessons in the Course in Miracles. You can bring love and peace to the world if you will not try to manipulate anything that you bring it to. If you will not try to change it or alter it in any way. So it's as if you're an artist and you wait for the light to be just right around this particular bush before you photograph it or you paint it. But here you have control even of the light. You can set the light up. So you have this person who wishes you to paint their, their portrait or photograph it. And you set the light up just right. Or you're making commercials and, and you want uh, the light to be behind the hair that's blowing. And you do that, you see. You are the bringer of light. And you can bring God to washing the dishes. You can bring God to the soap suds and the dish and the dish towel and the whole thing. By doing, by washing the dishes or running the errand or going to work in such a way as to play your part in the awakening of the Son of God is to bring God to it and to make your heart sing. So it is your state of mind this instant that is either contributing to or is playing no part in the awakening of this world which has begun now. This turnaround that has taken place. It has happened just recently. We've got a very, 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 very long ways to go. But it started. And the only question that you have not asked yourself yet is, do you wish to play your part now? You will eventually play your part because you will get tired of not playing it. You will get very weary of not playing it. You'll get very tired of being unhappy and irritated and caught up in meaningless trivia. You'll get very tired of that and so you will play your part. But the question you haven't asked yourself yet is, do you wish to play it now? And if you wish to play it now, make washing the dishes a gift to God. Make taking the car in to be repaired your part in the awakening of all mankind. Make pulling weeds your part in the healing of every living thing. Do it as if the salvation of everything depended on this, because in a sense it does. This world cannot awake without you. And so do not let your ego take it doesn't matter and turn it into I will do it poorly. I will do it irritatedly. I will rush through it. Uh, on my notes here, I've got El Gancho. <laughs> uh, I have not the slightest idea what Andre first do. Uh, but recently, Gail and I uh, started, uh, maybe it'll come to me, so I started talking to you about El Gancho. Uh, Gail and I started uh, swimming each morning as, uh, ex to exercise. We, we realized sometime back that we have a, more of a sense of well-being, less a sense of impending doom if we, were to, if we do just a little exercise. And so... Uh, we decided that we'd go out there and swim each morning. And uh, 
at El Gancho, there's uh, the beautiful people and the hopeless people are all together. <laughs> they've got they've got all the machines that make you look just wonderful uh, on the upper floor, upper so that they can look down on the people who do not look wonderful. And the people who do not, I, I've thought actually of wearing a little sign saying, Minister's body, do not be concerned. <laughs> and when we first walked in there, I remember that uh, there was a certain lightness in our heart because everyone in the pool was <clears throat> 60 or 70 or 80 years old. And we thought, oh, boy, are we going to shine? <clears throat> and uh, as we got in, how many laps do you do? Oh, I do uh, two miles. <laughs> Gail and I did uh, six laps the first time. Um, still hasn't occurred to me but down El Gancho. So I will simply go on. <laughs> It'll all fit in. You'll just love this sermon. <laughs> now, I'd like to get into these things with some specificity. So I, I would like to talk, first of all, about assault, which would be muggings uh, and rapes and uh, battered women and that kind of thing, getting beaten up. And then we'll go to alcoholism and then so forth. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover all that uh, this morning. So... Before I begin with those specifics, I would like to just give you some general rules about what to do after something like this has happened to you. Now, in doing this, I want to show you how all situations are the same. So there will be a temptation to say, well, this isn't going to happen to me, or it never has happened to me, or I will never be in a position to counsel someone with whom it has happened, and so I won't pay attention to this. And you don't, of course, have to pay attention to it, but it's very helpful to see how the truth applies in a situation that is not common to your experience. Sometimes you can get a tremendous insight into how it applies to the experiences that are so common in your life. And so as we go through this, I'm going to talk to you as if it hasn't happened to you, and as if you might never counsel anyone but here is how the truth applies to these particular situations. Now, I'm using that in a very broad sense because, to be at, strictly speaking, you cannot apply the truth to any situation. The truth is entered. The situation is left, and you enter the truth. But I will show you how it is possible to be more peaceful, to bring about a healing more quickly. Using the very ideas that we've talked about here. And before I go into those things specifically, which I probably won't be able to do this morning, let me just give you some general rules about the prevention and healing of a crisis. Let's take alcoholism, for example. The question is, am I an alcoholic? It is the question that is disturbing you and not the answer. And this is true of every question you find yourself asking as you go through the day. Notice how many questions you ask yourself as you go through the day. Your ego will tell you that it's the answer that's disturbing you. It is the question. Deal always with the question never with the answer. So what you want to do is to free your mind of the question, not answer it. Anyone who asks himself, am I an alcoholic, must deal with the question, and that's the mistake that most people make. They think they have to get the answer, and of course there is no absolute answer to that question. It will depend on which authority you go to as to whether or not that person classifies you as an alcoholic or addicted to uh, K2 
caffeine or sleeping too much or chronically depressed or eating too much sugar or whether or not your addiction to sugar is too great. Never deal with the, the answer. Deal with the question. What you want to do is realize that the question is a little storm in your mind. It's a piece of chaos that is lodged in your brain. The question is. And so what you wish to do is to bring the question to rest. And you will not bring it to rest by trying to get an answer to it. This seems very strange, doesn't it? But there are no answers. No one can agree on anything. You know this with whatever your hypoglycemia or whatever it is. Haven't you found that no one can agree? That people can't even agree how long the enzymes last after you juice the carrots. <laughs> now, what are you willing to do to bring the question to rest? Anything. Is the peace of God more important to you than anything? Then you're willing to do anything. First of all, see that you're willing to do anything to bring the question to rest. You do not want your mind to be chaotic. You don't want it to be chaotic even part of the time. You do not want to be haunted by this question. You are stopped cold in your tracks when you have a question. You cannot be loving to your child when you have a question. You cannot write a good book. You cannot do a good job at the office. You cannot drive your car safely if you have a question. I'm not saying you're going to have an accident if you have a question. But what I mean is that you've now taken the peace out of it. And now the world will seem to assault you. What are you willing to do to bring that question to rest? Am I an alcoholic? <clears throat> You have put the question to rest about your teeth. Maybe there is some absolute answer and perfect cure to uh, mental, uh, dental hygiene and, and, and uh, cavities and so forth. But you're not looking for it. You brush your teeth. Every single day you brush your teeth. You don't rail against it, form committees to lobby against it. You just brush your teeth. Many of you have put the question, where is my money going to come from? How am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to help people who need to be helped with money if it takes money? By getting a job. Now, there are a lot of people who have not given themselves that option. <laughs> they really haven't. I've talked to them all the time on the phone. These are people who are on a spiritual path, they tell me. It'll all work out. Can you grovel and scrounge and beg and be at peace? Of course not. Maybe there is some way of solving this problem. But I can tell you the alternatives that I've seen most people turn to have far more ramifications than simply getting a job, such as marrying for money. This has far more ramifications. Crime. Crime actually does not bring peace. Uh, I know there's a whole segment of the audience here that does not believe that. But this is an alternative, you see. Unless you've inherited a tremendous amount of money, getting a job can bring that question to rest. The whole money question. Going to an AA meeting every day of your life can bring that question to rest. You just go to the AA meeting. The average American spends six hours a day watching television. The average American spends six hours a day watching television. You won't have to spend but a third of that time going to an AA meeting. And I'm talking about getting dressed for the AA meeting and driving to it attending the meeting and coming back, about a third of the time that the average American spends watching TV. It is an answer. 
It is surprising how many people will not allow themselves that option. I won't go to a meeting every day the rest of my life. Why? Why won't you? If it puts the question to rest, do it. I mentioned AA. There are many other alternatives. But they involve that kind of thing because no one has come up with a little pill that you take and now you don't get drunk anymore forever and ever and ever uh, that I know of. But maybe it's out there. But it couldn't have happened to you, could it? You're not a person who could be an alcoholic. This is the, this is the way the question grates on us. It doesn't fit our ego image. I can't be an alcoholic. And so we keep asking ourselves the question. So the first rule about any crisis situation is deal with the question and not with the answer. Stop trying to get the answer. Bring the question to rest. The second one I covered during the first, which is be open to any option. Be open to any option. You know where I found the very best advice I have ever seen on colicky babies? What to do for a colicky baby? It was the gentlest, most spiritual, most practical, most thorough writing that I'd seen on that subject. It was in a Jane Fonda exercise book. <laughs> Be open to any option. If you open yourself up, you'll be surprised where the answer might come from. We don't have a colicky baby. Uh, this was in regard to someone else's colicky baby that, that we found. This. We've already mentioned the third one, which is to cut back on what you do. The fourth one is don't take risks. Don't do anything if you're excited about doing it. Boy, I see people drawing back in their chairs on that one. <laughs> I mean, I saw several people draw way back in their chairs. Take risks with peace. Take risks about cutting back. Take risks about having a routine. Take risks about meditating every morning when you get up for a few minutes. Take risks about breaking with the situation. If you got angry and, and ducking into a restroom. Take that kind of risk if you want to take a risk. But don't take the kind of risk in which you see a danger. A danger is going to upset someone else or a danger and so forth. Unless, of course, you can't avoid it. If it's just unavoidable, it's unavoidable. But one of the first things, for example, that an alcoholic will find out is... That it's disastrous to take risks with that whole subject. You do not put yourself in a situation where you might be tempted to drink. You do not go jogging down streets where you are afraid you will get raped if you've already been raped. You don't say to yourself, I ought to be able to jog down such and such a street. You don't list all the reasons why you wouldn't get raped if you walked down that street. But you have been raped, and this does preoccupy you, and there is this question that has not been brought to rest, and that is, will I be raped again? Will I be mugged again? Will I be assaulted again? Don't take the risk. Jog down another this is the easy, the quick and easy way. This frees your mind. So that this, this blossom of peace can continue to expand. The fifth thing is, don't wonder if you're doing it right. <laughs> we are talking this morning and every morning about the peace of God. We're talking about how you can allow the peace of God to cover you like a cape, to blanket you. We're talking about how the peace of God can fill your life. We're talking about how the peace of God can lay a path before you so that you will enjoy your life. It'll be a lovely life. You can have friends that satisfy you. And you can very slowly and in your own time 
join those who have laid aside their egos so that you can help everyone all the time. That's what we're talking about. Wondering if you're doing it right comes straight from the ego. It is mental chaos. It is request for mental chaos. There are two things that are of no use to you if you are a battered woman, if someone has just died, if you're an alcoholic, if you are suicidal, or if someone close to you is suicidal, or any of these other crisis situations. There are two things that are of no use to you whatsoever, and they're the first two things that your ego will present to you as a way of solving the mental chaos that this has thrown your life into. The first one is guilt. People who are raped feel guilty. People who are mugged feel guilty. People who are married to someone or have even been married to someone who beats them up feel guilty. People who have even had a suicidal depression and got the bottle of pills out but didn't take them feel guilty. Guilt is of no use to you. You cannot solve the problem if you are guilty. It will not motivate you to be guilty, and it will not help you in counseling another person to evoke guilt or increase guilt. Remorse does not heal. Love heals. Peace heals. Strength heals. Friendship heals. Equality heals. Reaching out and being one with the person, that heals. But making them feel remorseful will not heal them because it comes from the ego. God does not send out remorse. Your deeper self, your core, your being does not send you remorse. It comes from the ego. That's why you can't use it. It will have a temporary effect. It will change behavior, but temporarily because it is not eternal. It has nothing eternal behind it. We'll continue this uh, next time. Let me remind you of your assignment to let the world come to you. Let me suggest that you might want to play the game of being a guardian angel to other people. And let me tell you that as you know, no one receives any money for doing this. I don't receive any money for doing this or anything else for doing this. And one of the reasons that I decided right in the beginning not to accept any money for doing this and, to, and for the people that, that do this, the deacons, for them not to receive any money for this was so that there would not be that question as to why we were doing it. What we tell you here at this meetings, we know from our experience. I want you to be encouraged. I'm telling you, you can go through the day and be happy. I don't care what happens. You can shop and be happy. There's a way in which you can be happy with your family. There's a way in which you can be comfortable in your house. There's a way in which you can drive down St. Francis and hit every single pothole and be happy. I now remember what the El Gancho thing was. <laughs> there was a way. I knew there was a way for me to take my clothes off in the men's room with all the bulging biceps and everything else, and be happy. I knew that there was a way that I could walk from the, from the dressing room and get in the pool and have people stare at my swimming form. I knew that my 50-pound larger uh, bathing suit, there was a way I could actually wear that and be happy. I knew that there's a way that I could swim the laps and not feel competitive and not get caught up in how many 
I'd swung. I knew that there was a way for me to go to El Gancho and enter the door and every single aspect of it be at peace. But I can tell you I was not at peace in the beginning. You know what I had to do? AA says one day at a time. I've told you before, I can't bite off one day at a time. I have to bite off chunks much smaller than that. And so what I had to do was to fantasize each little event at El Gancho and see myself going through it in peace. And I had to be extremely conscious. Now I am taking off my clothes. The first time, I forgot the combination lock. Three, the, you know, the little, they give you a little combination lock. I forgot the number three times. I had to go out there. <laughs> <laughs> and not only, I knew they were thinking, not only has his body gone, so has his mind. <laughs> Be encouraged. If I can get through El Gancho <laughs> in peace, so can you.